You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network, sponsored by Audix. I wish I could break free back to where I'm supposed to be. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's Michael from Pro Sound Web. I'm here again with Chris and Kyle. What's going on, boys? How are we? I'm 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 hanging in there. Yeah. Are you? Okay, yeah. Cool. I thought you guys would do that thing where, like, you know, the teacher is going to come in and the substitute teacher, and no one's going to talk. I thought you guys were going to string me along there for a second. Well, it, I thought there was always, a prank happening. Yeah. Well, since we stopped doing video, I can never tell who's leaning towards the microphone who's going to speak first. So it's like this, like guessing game of like, <laughs> you go, no, you go, no, you go, you go. <laughs> Chris and I always run over each other. Like we will just run over each other all the time. <laughs> I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do the. Uh, you know, sort of what they do on the on the TV shows where I'm the host, so I'm going to turn my mic up louder than everybody else so I can just talk over you, just oh, brute yeah. force. <laughs> um, Kyle, you started uh, – I just want to mention this real quick before we get on with the episode today. You are uh, sort of spearheading a program in our Facebook group uh, to set up mentorships between yes. our pro listeners and our listeners who are students or interested in getting into the field or have maybe less experience in the field. Can you talk about that for a second? Because I think it's yeah. so cool, dude. So uh, I just logged in super early and went to the um, Signal to Noise um, page on Facebook, and there was this offer of this thing to do – mentorship program within the group and obviously you know we've talked on it um several episodes and i was like all my mentors are dead and i felt kind of left out because you guys were having a great conversations about people that help you out in life and i was wondering why i was struggling so without getting into all that and the medications that i have to take now (laughs) um I have started a new mentorship program within the group on the Signal to Noise Facebook page. Basically, it allows people to sign up their mentor, what they would like to work with people on, um, whether Andrew Stokely's already reached out and he signed up to do the broadcast bit. If you don't know who he is, go watch the po- or go listen to the podcast. Uh, Chad Olick. Um, or watch the Toronto you know. Blue Jays play on TV. That's his mix. I mean, yeah. So yeah, we we have some of the biggest heavy hitting, super experienced, super respected people in the industry signing up to. So I just want to throw out to listeners this is an awesome yeah. opportunity to get some killer knowledge. So definitely encourage people to take advantage of that. Yeah. yeah. Michael, Michael offered to be a mentor for whoever needs to find the best tacos in the country. He'll mentor yep. you into those places. So yeah, you got that. Coming. And if you don't have Facebook, like if you're like me and you don't have Facebook, but you want to, uh, you want someone to mentor you, email me because I would love to or somebody who also doesn't have Facebook. <laughs> so, so we'll be a, a, a non-Facebook uh, mentor situation. It, it was weird how that came up too. It was like one of those weird moments, Michael, where we were texting back and forth and I was like, man, how do we get these, uh, I call them kids. Sorry, guys. Um, I know you're young adults. Uh, that Compared are, to you, they're kids. Yeah. Where you're getting into the program or you want to go to school or you're working at the local venue and you don't know where to go. Like, um, we wanted to see how we can get this out to more younger up and coming people, but it's funny. Now these people are like, uh, Larry habits. He owns a company in Louisiana called Gulf coast sound. He actually called me today and was like, Hey man, uh, I, I want to be mentored by somebody. This dude's he's as old as me and he runs uh, <laughs> sound for insane amount of people. So all ages invite your friends over to the page. Um, yeah. let's get this mentorship thing going. It'll be fun. That's killer. Kyle, thanks for putting that together, man. That's super, super cool. So, I did something. Yeah, right. Check it out. <laughs> 
All right, so Kyle, I'm gonna put the silver star sticker on your calendar for the day, um, and we can move on. Um, we have two really cool guests this episode. I'm really excited to talk to these guys. Um, our guests are both um, from the and Peggy company of the Hamilton uh, show. Uh, we have the head audio on the show, Kevin McCoy, and the uh, assistant audio. Adriana Brannon, and there's a little bit of discussion about job titles in theater, which we're going to get into. But uh, Kevin and Adriana, thank you for for being with us tonight. Yeah, <laughs> this is cool. Um, so you guys were sort of catapulted to a new level of internet fame when uh, Adam <laughs> Savage, uh, you know, who most people will know as co-host of the MythBusters, came out to shoot a series of YouTube videos. Um, out, you guys are in San Francisco, right? So he came out to visit you and talk to you about your jobs. Um, and I saw the uh, Kevin's video first. And Kevin, I was really um, impressed by the way that you were able to convey your passion and just be really well spoken about your job and, and make it accessible to somebody, but without getting too technical. Um, and I thought that was really cool. And then I guess he came back and did another one with you. I'm, okay. I'm told I can call you AB, so that's pretty yeah, cool. Uh, <laughs> so, so, um, so, to, to your work about how you, you know, build the mic, the mm -hmm. ear rigs, and all that stuff. And I really, I, I just think that's really cool because it sheds some light on kind of an area of pro audio yeah. that that we don't get to talk about that much. So, so I want to kind of dig into that with you guys. But first, let's talk about this. You work on the Hamilton and. Peggy Company. So what's what's that all about? Uh, AB, go ahead. Go ahead, AB. Well, I, I, what do you mean by that question? <laughs> so it, there's multiple touring productions of the show, and that's how you identify the different tours. Is that, yeah, is that basically exactly. how it works? Um, okay, cool. There's Broadway. It's just Broadway. And then the Chicago company that has recently moved to LA, they're Eliza. And then there's the Angelica tour. That was the first national tour. And then the second, or I don't think they say first or second. And then the other national tour is Philip. And then we are the end Peggy company. And then London is just London. They're, you know, they're their own thing. So when there's like Hamilton and tacos, I'll be all over it. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'm coming to get your job, Kevin. <laughs> um, so, so here's another thing that, and, and you know, our listeners know that we had Mr. Shannon Slayton on the podcast, and uh, he's really until you guys are only really uh, theatrical focused mm -hmm. guest. And so, I kind of want to dig into a little bit Shannon's book. He goes into detail about a one, a two production sound. You know, what are all these job titles within audio and theater? Because it's a totally different world. You know, something we were talking about when Chris goes to a corporate gig and when Kevin goes or when Kevin, when Kyle goes to a, a, a rock concert, um, you know, when you say production manager, you say stage manager, that means different things to people depending on, on where they're working in the industry. So can you guys just sort of give a rundown of some of the different uh, job titles in, in theater audio and what those people do? Sure. Uh, Putting you on the spot. I know. No, this it's great. And Shannon's book is a really great overview of those things. So I definitely recommend people check that out. Um, so there's sort of there's sort of a different role different titles based on how you want to look at it. If you want to look at sort of the hierarchy, then I'm the head of audio department and Adriana is the assistant in the department. Uh, doesn't mean a, a ton in our department. We're a pretty good team. Um, mostly just means that if there's going to be someone getting yelled at, it's usually me first, and then they go yell at Adriana. Um, uh, and then there's also you can look at it as uh, the the roles that we're doing 
that day. So there's two there's two jobs that we each do. One is mixing the show, which is which is what you saw me talking about in that video, um, and that happens front of house. And then the other job is to be backstage where they shot the video with AB uh, and sort of monitor the RF at the workbox and just listen for problems and address problems that come up. Um, but we each do those jobs. So usually um, four or five shows a week I'll mix and three or four shows a week AB will mix. And then the other shows we're doing the other job. So it's not, so that's why I don't call myself the mixer of the show because AB mixes nearly as many shows as I mix. Um, and then some people might call that backstage role the A2 role uh, because A2 usually deals with RF, but sometimes you might also say that A2 is the assistant audio, so it gets a little confusing there. And then you have uh, production sound. Um, I don't know if you guys have a production sound on your show, but I, I know other shows that have a production sound. So where's what's that role in all this? Right. Production sound is uh, sort of the person who deals with um they interface with the shop so that we can deal with our our rental stuff they do a lot of the the paperwork and sort of the um they'll like hire subs and um uh and they're sort of like our point of contact if we have problems hamilton is is a big um a big production so we actually have not only do we have our production sound who is his name is nick borischuk uh, but we also have a sound supervisor, uh, that's Jason Crystal, and Jason is also the associate sound designer, uh, and Nevin Steinberg is the sound designer. Um, and so between Nick and Jason, they're sort of our our two main points of contact for if we're having problems with getting rental gear from the shop, or if we're having technical problems, or if we're um, if AB and I are fighting, <laughs> like that's who, that's who we would talk to. Let's dig that a little further. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I would also say too, um, so during like the first load in, if you will, especially for a tour, um, Nick, the production sound, he's the one who's like running the load in. And he does that that type of like logistical stuff. And then once that tour starts to actually tour, then the A1 kind of acts as the like load in um, go to person. But with Hamilton, they have the advance, they have an advanced crew, so they have a head advance and a um, assistant advance. Is that what the that position is called, Kevin yeah. Kingston? Yeah. And the head advance then kind of acts as the production sound for load ins. They're the ones who are running the load in at least for and the world of hamilton and those advanced people just come out for moves so okay. you'll have you'll have one advanced person who goes to the city that is being loaded out of and actually stays a little bit after to finish up some of the the post out stuff and then you'll have people who go to the city that is being loaded into to help with the load in and to do some stuff before the the full crew gets there because there's some stuff that's duplicated and uh, so it sort of leapfrogs city to city. I I haven't actually moved our show yet, so AB can correct me, but I think one of those things, for example, is the surround speakers, which take yeah. a lot of time to install. Yeah. And the other great thing too about us having a head advance, they're the ones who tune the system and tune the rooms, and which is great because they tune all the tours. So that way, hopefully, you know, they're the one person 
who's turning the room so that way they do sound pretty much exactly the same as much as they can do, you know? Um, but, and then they also will cover the A1 and the A2 track when those people choose to take vacation. So well, that's that is, a, the point you bring up is actually, is it's perfect because that's something I wanted to bring up. Live guy lingo. <laughs> Um, the idea of consistency, um, you know, for people who work maybe outside, I mean, it's really just theater where you have a show that runs for months or years at a time, generally speaking, or, or, you know, Vegas. Um, but I think for a lot of us, you know, rock and roll, you load the show in, you do the show and you're done. Um, and you're on to the next thing. And so this idea that if someone goes to see the show six months later or a year later, it needs to sound the same. It needs to look the same. My girlfriend does, does hair and makeup for, for Broadway and, and Broadway tours. And so part of her job is to travel around the country and go see the show and take notes and send those in to make sure that the wigs and the costumes mm-hmm. are, are looking the way they were designed to look. And so what's that look like for you? I mean, who, who is checking on, you know, the sound design and making sure the integrity is there and that it hasn't drifted. Our good friend, Jason Crystal. <laughs> also boss um but he comes out i would say like twice a year kevin yeah i think that's what what they were aiming for yeah Yeah. i don't think he comes out more unless there's like a problem um but like if we're fighting yeah um but we're gonna we're gonna gonna get to this by the way (laughs) it's not come much twice if you Um, mention it one more time we're digging into it Um, Chris, Chris is going dad mode on the show now. Gotta... Yeah. 8% um, here. I'm excited to dig into Kevin and I's fights because they're kind of funny. Um, anyway. But yeah, so Jason comes out about twice a year to every tour, sit-down production, whatever, of Hamilton. And we'll listen to the mix, both the A1 and the A2. Um, so that way, you know, those mixes are aligned with each other. Because there shouldn't, you know, one shouldn't mix a, you know, completely different show than the other, because that's just a little strange. Um, and then, but also to making sure that the mixes are still aligning with the design of the show and how it really just should sound. Um, so Jason has a much harder job than we do. <laughs> <laughs> I think adding adding to that, there's like there's definitely responsibility for us on the tour. Um, w- one of the things that I think about a lot. Uh, as an as as the as an A one is, uh, I I like to say slow creep, which I guess now that I say it out loud is it seems like maybe something I shouldn't say so much. That's but, Carl. Uh, that's Carl. Dick, that's Carl's yeah. nickname. So it's okay. my nickname in high school. Uh, but creep. my concern is all. <laughs> my concern is always with the show slowly creeping away from the original design, and so I do a lot of things to try and make sure that any changes we're making are intentional and not just a result of drift. Um, so like I'll mark down a lot of levels that I mix the band to, or um, we have, I don't know if you've ever heard of this software called smart, but we have smart running. Uh, weird. On a, yeah, what, is this, weird. what is this smart you speak of? I don't know anything about that. I only I, I tried to, I tried to search it, but it smelled, it spelled funny. So I couldn't find anything, but um, <laughs> uh, we, we, <laughs> we keep smart running and um and especially the the SPL display um which may or may not be accurate to actually how many SPL it is but it's always the same so it gives me a a, a bench line a, a benchmark of like oh tonight I'm mixing the show 
quite a bit louder than before. Like, why am I doing this? Is it my ears? Is, you know, is the audience demanding it or that sort of thing? So there's a, a lot of stuff that I do to try and make sure that we're not drifting away from the design uh, unless we're making intentional choices for a reason. Without, then, without, I'm sorry, without going down a too much rabbit trail to SPL, just like curiosity, are you just watching LEQ or you actually do you actually um, record timeline? No, we're just watching the number. And there's just like moments in the show when I know, oh, yeah, at this point of the show, I usually hit 104 or I'll, I'll usually be at like 82 here or whatever. And I just know those moments and, and look for those moments. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't, like you said, Chris, I don't, we already went down the SPL train. We had Jamie Anderson on last episode, but um, it, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I work on the SPL feature set for smart primarily. And, and so we get a ton of emails like, Hey, do I need a calibrator? And the, the, the answer is it depends. And if you're just using it for consistency, like you're talking about Kevin, like we just want to make sure the show is the same every night, mm-hmm. then no, you don't need a calibrator. Just punch a value in there and just hit the same numbers every night. And, and so yeah. that's, that's a great example of the consistency use case. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, yeah. And, I, and real quick too, I, I'll just mention the other, the other thing that we use, uh, smart for, for that I use smart for is uh, we have two microphones, two measurement microphones running into it. And uh, one is on the balcony rail and one is, uh, is backed by the mixer. And so it lets us know if there's something weird happening with the PA out in the house, because we're so far under the balcony and behind a bunch of delays that we can see, you know, we can see the, the RTA of the microphone on the balcony rail doing weird things, but we can't hear. That's a great point. So you're you're mixing off you're making the show off delays. Um, so you you it's tricky, you know. Again, typically in theater, I don't know what you have specifically, but for our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar, typically you have a left right system for the band mix, and then you have a mono system for the voice, um, and that can get a little funky when you get into delays and what are we going to sum where and and all that. So um, how how is that trying to mix on a system that's maybe not as representative as being further in the house? Well, I would say that one of the things one of the things that uh, that our team is brilliant at, uh, and this is especially Jason Crystal and Nevin Seinberg and Mike Farfalla, who is the he was uh, our head advance, um, and he helped come out and, and tune our system a bit, is m- making the system sound consistent throughout the entire theater. I was listening to one of your previous podcasts and there was sort of a discussion about how maybe in rock and roll, that's less of a concern, but uh, in theater, we definitely strive for uh, every seat getting pretty much the same, uh, you know, result of the system. And so for the most part, uh, for the most part, I don't have to think about it because for the most part, I'm hearing the same system that everyone else is hearing. Uh, And it's going to vary, of course, by, by what theater we're in the theater in San Francisco that we, that we played for uh, over a year. It sounded pretty similar where we were mixing from, but when you got down into the house, into the, into the open part of the house, there was a lot more just sort of openness and the vocals could sort of swish around a lot more above you. And so you just had to sort of be conscious of that, but um, it was a very, very consistent system uh, in terms of level and mix. And that's so important, you know, it's not ACDC, you know what I mean? There's a really different dynamic when you're talking about, you know, musical theater. If people can't hear the words, if they can't understand the words, um, they've wasted their their entire evening. Yeah. Um, it's it's just paramount. And I, I won't say the name of the show, but I saw a touring 
Broadway show a couple of years ago and I was up in the balcony and I could not hear a single line. I just couldn't understand what was being said. And I, I kind of wandered down to mix position and I heard every single line clear as a bell. And I'm like, yeah. okay, this is, that's actually how I explain to my family what I do for a living. Um, <laughs> you know, like it, it's the, this is a really good mix. It's just the system tech didn't do their job here. So this is what, you know, this is, this, that was a really nice illustration of, of how that can happen. So that's super important. Um, I would love to know what each of you think are like some of the biggest challenges for this show in particular. Like Kevin, you said in the video that this is the hardest show you ever mixed by an order of magnitude. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the The previous hardest show I had mixed was Motown and I thought that that was difficult. And then coming here to mix this one, it's, it's shocking how hard it is and in a, you know, in a great way. And, and um, it's, it's not hard anymore. You know, once, once I had mixed for, a month or two. It wasn't hard anymore, it's, but it's still very challenging and um, requires full concentration and yeah. um, that sort of thing. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would say that that's a challenge, but also a delight. I mean, it's it's, it's what I miss. Yeah. I mean, it's a marathon to get through. And I think the one tricky part is letting it not get away from you, like making sure that you still have the control and you're not just kind of like, I don't know, letting what you maybe you want this part to be like really, really big. Cause that's what you're like feeling right now, but you can't let that happen. You know, you can't give it away too quickly or not at the right time even. Totally. Well, that's, that's an interesting conversation. And, you know, I, I'll, you know, Kyle has talked about when he was out mixing fallout boy, how he would do, you know, certain things to, to sort of capture the emotional swell of the performance from night to night. And, and I, I think what a lot of people maybe don't understand about, about a Broadway tour is that there is a sound design in place and mm -hmm. it's not yours. And so it doesn't really matter if you think, if you always thought that the guitar should be louder at this part, that's not your call. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Um, so, so you have to have a little distance connect um versus what you would do when you're mixing a rock band right yeah yeah true although i mean there's also uh as mixers we're given a little bit of latitude so we definitely want to keep it within the design um but uh you know if if there's like um what's a good example there there was a moment uh in the show when when um Washington and Hamilton are sort of having a, or it's Washington and Burr are having a conversation, and then Washington basically tells Burr to get the get out of his office, and uh, and then there's this sort of like silence while everyone sort of laughs at how how Washington just dismissed him, and then there's a musical dudded and dun, and it goes back into the underscoring, and in the original way that I learned to mix the show, that just sort of the da da dun dun. Sat, sat at the same level as the underscoring but um a few months in uh one of the creative team i think it was the orchestrator alex lackamore uh just gave me a note saying hey can that da da dun dun be bigger um and like that's not that's not changing the design intent or anything but it's a perfectly valid change to the mix that either came from just more listening to the show or from the acknowledgement that I didn't have this sort of mental capacity to make that move before, but now I can make it because as you get better at mixing, you can make more moves. So it's, it's not like you're locked into exactly how you mixed the show on opening night. Uh, you can improve your mix, but you just always want to make sure that you're staying within 
uh, the intent of the design. And um, it's nice to be able to have conversation with the designer and just sort of get a sense of what's out of bounds and what's within your purview. So, AB, what's what's the biggest challenge for you on this show? Um, hmm. Say Kevin. You thought I was going to forget. I didn't. Kevin. I didn't it's forget. Kevin. <laughs> it's Kevin. <laughs> Fighting Kevin. with Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> and vacation. Yeah. Kevin and vacation. Um, well, I guess I don't know if I have like a huge challenge when I'm backstage. Because I mean, you know, the because Kevin's in front of house when you're backstage. Yeah. <laughs> No, um, so, you know, when I'm backstage, everything is pretty calm until there is a problem. And then, you know, if the problem is not apparent to others, as in the audience, if it's not something that's going through the PA, like a broken mic, then I have X amount of time to you know, figure out what the problem is, whether that's a transmitter problem or a microphone problem, um, and then try to fix that. But I wouldn't say that that is incredibly challenging. Um, And the other thing that I have to acknowledge is sometimes things just break. And even if it, like, maybe it's in the PA, maybe, uh, like, uh, this actually happened months ago, but a transmitter just like broke on stage while an actor was speaking. Um, and you just have to act quickly and smartly and fix it as soon as possible. And there's nothing that I can do about the fact that it's broken on stage. <laughs> um, Despite my yelling in the radio. Yeah. Angrily. <laughs> um, but, you know, so like being, you know, my role backstage isn't um, necessarily always challenging, but I guess, you know, it can be, a challenge to just like keep listening and keep being like actively aware of like, you know, how everyone's doing, how everyone's mic is sounding, that type of thing. But then I think when I'm mixing, it really is just like keeping my brain up to, you know, keeping my brain yeah. in the show and actively listening and, you know, maybe tuning out audience noises the guy who's sitting in the row, like ahead of you, who's snacking on some type of hard candy, the usher who's sneezing beside you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just keeping with it and not giving it all away and knowing, hitting your marks and knowing when you might be too quiet, knowing when you might be, you might be yeah. too loud, but also knowing where there's wiggle room where you have some type of like artistic choice. That's right. correct. And- Chris, I, I know also, you got a question. Oh, sorry, Kevin, go ahead, man. I, I just want to say I don't want to. I don't want to speak for AB, but uh, I think it's just because she's been doing it for so long that she doesn't see this <laughs> as a challenge anymore. But building the microphones, the the custom microphones that we use that you saw in the video, is incredibly challenging, and uh, I I I don't know how how she does it. But well, it's, okay, let's fun. so let's go there because oh. I wanted to. I wanted yeah. I I did I did a college production. I had something like twenty seven mics on it, which is too many as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. um, and. And I had a college A2 who hadn't done, I mean, he's like, kid was a math major. He's wicked smart. Oh my God. Um, and I, I had, well, smart. He, he, <laughs> I'm from Boston, <laughs> uh, but no, it, um, I, I had to show him how I wanted it done and he did it all exactly like I asked him, but I'm like, dude, you're, you're doing like a Broadway level A2 job here. Like you're and he, and, and I didn't have to 
micromanage. I didn't have to correct his placement. I didn't have to, he, if something went down, he would just go to the dressing room and fix it. Like mm-hmm. it was amazing. I'm like, I don't think you understand how difficult this is and how, how hard it is to be good at this. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's so tedious. I would do a terrible job, but, uh, I'm really glad that you said that whole thing about, Hey, if it breaks, it breaks, you know, there's, there's yeah. nothing I can do with it. And, yeah. and I had to learn to let that go on that show because it would, it's West side story. There's gang fights. There's people rolling around doing choreography. There's a lot of physical impact on the mics. And so we would, stuff would break, you know, yeah. and you can't run around like the consoles on fire every time a mic goes down. Cause it's like <laughs> a mic's going to go down, you know? And yeah. so yeah. I was just like, okay, here's what happens when the mic goes down. We both had, you know, we could both monitor it and see what was happening. And I would just get on the comm and say, Hey, can you go? And he would just go do it. And so, um, I think that coolness under fire is like a huge part of this. Yeah. And uh, stuff I hear a lot from kids who are just starting to get into mixing is like, I'm so nervous. Something's going to break, or I'm so nervous. I'm going to get feedback. I'm like, yeah, something will break and you will get feedback yeah. at some point. So just, you just have to be okay with that, you know? Well, and then sometimes too, those nerves can get in the way. <laughs> like, you know, don't let your nerves about something break, not let you do your job when something breaks. <laughs> well, it, I mean, line yeah. mixing, which is another thing I want to talk to you guys about, but it, that requires such laser focus that if you make a mistake and you let it throw you, Um, you can easily blow the next seven lines because you were rattled from the one. And so the the whole thing is don't let that snowball, right? I mean, just get back on track. Exactly. Okay, Chris, I'm done now. I'm sorry, dude. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, no, you kind of actually just set up partially what I was going to ask in terms of, so the the level of show you guys are working at, right? There's this super high expectation. You guys are, you guys are there because of how professional you are. But like you said, things do go wrong, whether it's mics going bad, whether it's missing a market in in a line or something like that. Um, How, you know, uh, how do you keep yourself under control during those times or you have a tendency to freak out or, and also maybe was there a time where you had to learn to become that? And it's kind of a question for both of you. Like, you know, what was your experience like coming up uh, through mixing through a two and stuff like that, that maybe set you up to be able to be calm, cool, collected when those things happen? Well, I think one, one thing that helps is like, we do have a lot of backups, like backup systems, I suppose, backup, you know, um, they're just, you know, in general for me, like I have a lot of backup mics. And so I know like the minute I hear something go wrong with a mic, I know which one to pull. I know like where to find them. And that's also because I've been doing the show for so long that I know a lot of people's tracks and I like, and also I know these people. So I know of like, you know, this person always sweats out. I know exactly what to do to get them. And I think it's just more of like having the trust in myself that I know how to fix the problem right right away. But that also was never like, that wasn't the case from the very beginning. And, but I think so like seeing, like being able to just react when things go wrong after things go wrong again and again and again, that's not bad. (laughs) Um, Not that they go wrong, but, (laughs) but just being able to, you know, fix the problem as soon as it happens and getting that practice, I think has just helped me. And also just accepting that, of course, problems happen all the time. Yeah, for sure. Did, did, did you have, did you ever have someone that you worked under that you learned um, some of those principles by or? Um, yeah, I, so I, the first time they ever etude was at a summer stock and they kind of just like took me through the ropes a little bit. But also kind of like let me go like fly on my own. Um, 
And not that I think I made very many mistakes during that time, but I think I had enough like, you know, smarts to know that like I need, you know, I need a backup system for when this breaks and this breaks and you just need to know like kind of what's going on and how to react. So my question, how many channels of RF are you guys using? And obviously one of you guys does all the RF coordination. And then my second question, which is always better than the first, (laughs) I am going to make a, I'm just going to put this out there. I'm going to say that your guys' catering is insane good. (laughs) Am I right? right? We're going to. We're going to, oh man, we're going to disappoint you, I think. Yeah. Oh no, come on. Tell me you guys get like special stuff. Like they we don't in. normally, we don't normally get catering because, uh, what kind of operation are you working for? <laughs> because for the most part, our schedule is set up so that we can take proper lunch breaks and go out and get oh. lunch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. And I mean, when we're running the show, uh, when, you know, when we've been running the show here in San Francisco for, for the, the year, like, we really work just like 40 hours a week and like uh, we have lunch breaks and dinner breaks and um, uh, all those things. So the only time we ever really got catering is uh, we have we have an educational program that we would do sometimes and that would change the schedule up for the day enough that they would have to cater uh, two meals for us those days. And they were all, it was always delightful catering and I love our company management and um, uh, but yeah, catering is definitely not the norm. So um, you're 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 messing up the vibe here. This is well, this is secretly a, 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 a food podcast, right? Like we we disguise this as a sound podcast, but this is really a food podcast. You know, don't 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 tell Kevin yeah. that. Uh, well, yeah. don't, all right, let's do let's do this then. So, so all right, you you got your lunch break, you got your dinner break. Um, you're gonna go out somewhere near the theater in San Francisco, grab some food. What do you grab? Sushi, dude. They're in San Francisco. I know, no, no, no. Oh. <laughs> I, this might not be a very popular opinion, but I don't think San Francisco has very great sushi. At least, like... I live in Missouri. Abby's just saying that because she (laughs) left town, so she doesn't have to worry about what people are going to say to her. Well, I just want to throw out that the Signal Noise podcast email goes straight to Kyle. So if (laughs) if anyone gets flamed up, it's going to be him. You guys are safe. Bring it. (laughs) Oh, boy. Kyle Um, will get the flame. (laughs) There is other delicious food there. They have great vegan yeah. and vegetarian restaurants too. They do. Um, Kala was one of my favorite restaurants, and I am so sad that I can't go anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, free? Huh? For free? <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Oh, TDs, baby. No. Um, during my lunch breaks, I would go to a place called Suvla, which was like a Greek. Like pretty fast little chic place. It was great. I love Suva. Since we're talking about yeah, food. I, I was pretty boring with my food choices. Sometimes I'd order stuff for a while. I was getting a really great salad every Saturday. I would have one delivered, but I don't know the the area the theater was in. You know the the options were. I don't know. They weren't terrible, but they, there weren't a ton of options either. So sort of a decision about how far you wanted to travel away and how much of a lunch break you wanted to have. Dang. So let's, let's, so, let's wow. get back on track. Really let's get back on track. Down. Sorry. Let's get back on track. Here. No, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. Oh, back to RF. RF. Well, well, no, I was thinking about the fight, actually, is what I was thinking about. Oh, great. Oh. <laughs> uh, AB, do you want to talk about RF? <laughs> I'm oh, just trying right. to change the subject. 
Wait, 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 wait. Um, you brought it up twice. Just say it. Just say it. <laughs> we have five, 28 channels of RF. I get asked this question all the time, and I cannot ever remember the number. It's I'm just saying that's why I asked you to answer it. It's either 26 or 28. But, okay, we can do the math. So, <laughs> there's 11 Hold on, on let me get to my TI-83+. plus. <laughs> there's 11 ensemble. There's 10 principals, so that's 21, plus two more because uh, Hamilton and Burr are double mic, so that's 23. So plus two for a hat or a mic and a hat and a mic and a crown. So that's 25. It's 28 plus. So plus three wireless handhelds. Well, shit, I had 27 on my show. So I was doing pretty good. All right. I feel better. (laughs) Andrew Andrew Stokely had 125 on curling. (laughs) Yes, he did. Curling. curling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I toured a show that had uh, about um, I think about eighty, and that was, you know, that's tricky in that whatever tricky. random theater you're in. So I'm in grateful that Hamilton area, doesn't have too many. In yeah. a metro area, like you'll have better luck with Mister Microphone sometimes. You know? <laughs> well, so, well, that's a great question. I mean, so you're sitting you're sitting in a place for a while. I mean, you guys are there for like eighteen months, right? So mm-hmm. so. Uh, how much coordination do you have to do on an ongoing basis? We didn't have to do so. We did our like the first coordination when we got there, and I, and especially because on Peggy, we kind of relied pretty heavily on the shops to do the coordination, and the shops always do the coordination anyways. Um, but some people will want to do their own, um, but we just relied on the shop and any noisy um, frequencies that we got, we just wrote back saying like, "Hey, these don't work. Can we get some new ones?" Um, but we had uh, a week and a half to load in. We had quite a we had quite enough time for me to say, "Hey, these don't work. Can I get some new ones?" Um, but they're you know they were all super clean. But strangely, up like beginning of March, we had a a week where we had some noisy frequencies. I think it was the beginning of March. It was like it was a little bit before or a little bit before we left. Um, but I just, you know, emailed the shop again saying, and we sent them a scan as well. Um, but so other than like, so we loaded in originally January, February, 2019, and we didn't touch anything until March, 2020. Are you, are you in a, are you in a theater district at all? When you're, are you in a theater district now? We are a few blocks away from the Golden Gate Theater, and we're right across the street from ACT. But I think that's the only, or those are the only theaters that are the closest. So, yeah, so the re- reason I was asking, I was curious, maybe not in this city, but in other cities, w- would it be common, outside of New York, of course, would it be common practice for venues to actually coordinate together and, and actually work together, or is it still like an all-fend-for-yourself thing? Um, Kevin, do you know that? I actually don't I, know. I can that. only think of, of like one for sure, and maybe maybe another uh in cleveland there's two theaters who are effectively back to back and they're both big enough theaters they occasionally get the um like big shows in them so you'd want to coordinate between those two uh but for the most part uh the theaters are isolated enough that you don't really have to worry uh i was in st louis with that with that um with that show with a lot of rf and i was the a2 for that show so i was dealing with with rf more and oh, yeah. um, I no, um, yeah. I got a uh, um, I started getting like a very clear 
I was listening to a microphone and I was hearing like a jazz concert. And uh, it turned out that across the street, there was just like a little club and uh, I was getting, I was getting their IEM transmitter that was, that was, you know, exactly on top of one of my frequencies. Um, Were you at so, the Fox? You know, was it the Fox Theater that? in St. Louis? Yeah, at the Fox, exactly. And across the ah. parking lot, there was just like, it's just like a little like event space that doesn't even normally do shows, but they had a little jazz band set up and their IM transmitter happened to be right on top of one of my frequencies and their, you know, the antenna was pointed right at me. So it was kind of the worst of all worlds. <laughs> but um, for the most part, uh, there's not a lot of need to coordinate that sort of stuff. We also, we also do stuff with, you know, gain and, and such to try and, just get our own transmitters so it's usually not a big deal which i think is a reason why you, you see a lot of shows like ours just relying on shop coordinations because we've just not found the need to do big proper coordinations uh that might change more i'm sort of getting the sense from some other theater colleagues that perhaps we might need to start being a little bit more proactive about our own coordinations mm-hmm. um but uh, so far, the shop coordinations based on just you know the FCC database have been have been fine. So, you know, we pay them a rental fee. Might as well use it. <laughs> um, maybe shifting gears back to back to mixing. I'm curious. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, if we're on that, I, I I hear a rumor that that Kevin has been known to enjoy a mint or two during the show when he's mixing. Well. I can't take credit for the mints. It's yeah. it's from uh, yeah. Amy should tell the story because she, she it's uh, her friend. Well, I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask if she eats your mints or who's who owns the mints. I'm really into the mint. I thing. think Hamilton owns them. No, Kevin, you buy them. <laughs> Do you buy uh, them? Yeah, I've occasionally oh. t- I've occasionally turned in the receipt and no one has asked any questions. But it depends on how <laughs> up I am with my paperwork. Um. So on Broadway, they started eating Altoids. And they had two different flavors, I guess, peppermint and wintergreen. But they had the tens they labeled treasury and state. Um, and then that's, they... That's a joke from the show. Yeah. That's a joke from the show. Yeah. And they also tried this polarizing flavor called strawberry. Um, oh. They don't like it, but we love it. <laughs> yeah. And it is our um, favorite snack, I would say. I guess... Kevin, you eat cheese during the show. <laughs> Sometimes I, I'll I, eat little cheese snacks too. Yeah, but I don't know any. I don't really know any mixers who don't have mints well, at the console. My it just seems mind to be a thing. is blown because I've been known to do like a Snickers or like a little snack here and there, uh-huh. but I never thought about enjoying cheese. <laughs> there's a little. The there's mix. like little that, tel- like individual packs. Oh yeah. my gosh! I'm gonna have to do that, dude. They're that's incredible. A little, that's a little sketchy during a, a rock show, though, Michael. Just saying. Yeah, mixing Fall Out Boy and eating like the little yeah individually wrapped cheese. Oh, yeah. I'm having a wheel bell. I can't wait to. Yeah, hold on. That smells like my hand. Uh, once we're all back to work, uh, we can just all send each other pictures of eating cheese yeah. at our consoles. We're gonna yeah, che- we're gonna cheese on that. consoles. It wasn't drinks on consoles. Now it's gonna be cheese on consoles. So yeah. <laughs> so cheese. I, I think you could get away with like also like the bluebell stuff, but you know, like anything like like uh, Cheetos. No. Bad, oh news, bad news, you know. Bad Can't news. Bad news. <laughs> no. Bad yeah. news. Maybe string cheese. It. String cheese would be a, a, yeah, a, a better go. alternative. I think you could do string cheese. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's I think that's just became a thing. Yeah, I'm not going to do the cheese. I'm going to stick with the mints. <laughs> hey, Chris oh. is trying to ask a legit question. 
back to the, I'm, no, not 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 the fighting. No, no, no. So about the mixing. No, all seriousness. <laughs> I'm 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 curious. So uh, so I get we we covered the line by line mixing and how that works with Shannon. I'm curious from a from a, a console routing. What, what type of things going on in terms of busting subgroups, if any? Um, and is any of that by your design? Is it purely the sound designer who gets to do all that, and you're simply just pushing faders? Oh God, I feel like I should have done like research into my console file for this podcast now. Um, it, We're I not was, slouches here at the Signal Noise uh, podcast. We, we get real talk <laughs> about cheese, you know. Well, so I, I guess the the first honest part of the answer is that I don't really have to know because for me the console is is uh, you know fourteen faders and a go button, but you know I try to be a little bit better than that. Uh, We're just the, the, monkeys. I'm kidding. That's right. <laughs> Um, the routing is usually set up by the designer, the design team, uh, whether that's the designer or more often it's the associate designer. Usually the associate designer is the one who gets into the nitty gritty details, although the designer will also have opinions on it. Um, uh, and it's usually sort of their uh, part of their overall philosophy. Um, uh, in our system, we have um, a principal vocals boss. This is, and this is pretty typical of, of <laughs> I think uh, musical theater, there's a principal vocals bus, there's an ensemble vocals bus, um, and then there's a band bus. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's more complicated than, than just those three buses. There's, there's also like, uh, I think in our case, we, we run the drums through another bus so we can get uh, a compressed drums. And then, an, and then also we still have the regular uncompressed drums to use as well. Um, and we also compress the whole band and it's sort of set up so that as we drive the band harder, that compressed band takes over. Um, so uh, there's there's some routing happening there that's that's kind of clever. Um, a lot of the the routing for the principal and the ensemble vocals is to do things like um, like there's monitors backstage, and we only ever want the monitors backstage to have the principals in it because sometimes the ensemble is singing backstage, and so you don't want a chance of feedback for that sort of stuff. Um, and so using those buses accomplishes that. Um, the, that also routes them to the appropriate reverbs. We will usually have a, a different reverb for the, the principles versus the ensemble. Um, and so that, that routing happens there. Um, in our case, we use uh, DCAs. Uh, we use a lot of DCAs. We, use, we mix on DCAs. That's, that's the standard way of mixing is using DCAs. Or Digico calls them control groups. And you know, other people call them VCAs. I don't want to. I don't want to fight about it. Um, but uh, um, we also have DCAs for all of the instruments. So our we have a ten-piece band in the pit, and uh, but like the guitar player has a mic and a couple DIs and an electric guitar, um, and the bass player has an upright bass that has a mic and a DI, and they have a uh, a synth like a, a key bass that comes out of a main stage rig uh and they have an electric bass and so uh like each of those has their own channels of course but also we have a dca for that entire group so that we can just be like oh there's too much bass in this song we don't have to think about what bass is he playing you know which mic are we hearing too much of we can just reach up and pull the bass down a little bit um or like if there's a sub in and, and that person plays the drums a little bit harder, we can just reach up and pull the drums DCA down just a little bit. Um, so that's some of the routing stuff. Uh, it's definitely not my, it's definitely not my, my area of expertise. So I, I feel like I'm not doing it justice, but uh, uh, that's, that's some of the stuff. 
No, that, that, that's all good. I mean, I, you, and you, you answered the question of whether you actually set that up or someone else set it up for you. And uh, and I, I guess one other thing with that, though, would be, what about EQ? Um, I, I imagine some of that tonality is already built. And then is there any bits in the show where you are adjusting EQ? And then do you have to go back and reset that each night? Because maybe that was only something that flared up that night as opposed to something that you want to stay consistent for the future. How does that work? Yeah, that's a super question. Uh, and it goes back a little bit to what I was talking about with the slow creep. Um, uh, when we tour the show, especially this becomes a thing. And uh, so often the system is set up with several different EQs. So like maybe there's an EQ on the principal bus, maybe there's an EQ on the ensemble bus. But there's also, of course, each each microphone has an an individual EQ. And then we go into system processors. We have have five Meyer galaxies uh, and there's uh, EQs on the ins and the outs there. So there's a bunch of different places where we EQ, and some of those are set up by the designer and shouldn't be changed because they're creating the tonality that the, that the designer wants in the system. But some of those are the places where we adjust for the room that we're in. And so knowing what to adjust and what not to adjust and what to reset every night and what to reset every city is, uh, I think, one of one of the important jobs of an A1 and, and how we prevent drifting away from the design intent uh, because if you're a sort of a messy a1 you'll just start reaching in and grabbing EQ wherever you can and then you know the next city you've changed this system EQ which you shouldn't have which should never have been changed because you really should have adjusted for it in the galaxy or whatever um, and then uh, on the other end of it back in the channel EQs uh, each actor you know has a, a slightly different tonality and so uh, the Digico software allows us to tell it what actor is playing what role that night, and uh, it loads their appropriate EQ. Uh, but of course, you know things change, and so if someone needs tweaking, we'll, we can tweak the, that in the moment, uh, and then we can choose whether or not to save that. Um, and then when we add, you know, when we have new actors come in to do either new roles or to do the same actors who are, who are doing new roles to them. Uh, we make an EQ for them and, and uh, adjust as needed for them. Is there, a, and I don't know what digital calls it, is there anything in recall safe or is everything um, snapshotted, everything is captured? Uh, the, in recall safe, um, well, the so the EQs are recall safe because they don't recall with the snapshots, but they're loaded uh, by the, it's called the players list and it's because oh, okay. it's a digital theater software. Um and uh, let's see, uh, w- like obviously the DCAs are, are recall safe, but like most of the channel processing is recall safe because for the most part we just want to be able to tweak it and have it traverse through all the, for the snapshots. Rest of the night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, we can well, go back to shenanigans. I had to get some technical stuff in there. So, <laughs> well, no, and it, I mean it's a good question, and and I also think uh, Shannon's again Shannon's book uh, is a great resource for this type of stuff and like totally. like i i told kevin this before we started but i don't do a lot of theater so what you know what what i know about it mostly came from from his guidance so anyone who's interested in, in that stuff i would encourage them to check Shannon's book out it's great yeah he didn't pay me to say that i really think it's great <laughs> <laughs> but you, I, did, I did just text Jr. him i just said hey man we're on the podcast tonight talking about your book and he sent me a thumbs up so Nice. <laughs> nice. All right, A B. Kevin's Kevin's been dodging this. Oh, he's brought it up twice. What's up with the fight? What's up with the fight? The we only fight. fight. We fight about one thing, and it's batteries. 
Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, is that what you thought I was going to say? I was, I was, it was either that or that phone call that I made that one time. Uh, oh. <laughs> we, we, we have time for both. Uh, the, phone call, the phone call was easy. What was it? Like a telemarketer called him when yeah. we were just like hanging out at work one day. And I, I just felt very uncomfortable because he kept on asking her why she was calling. And I don't know how she got his number. And it was just uncomfortable. It was, it it was, was like they were like faking their caller ID. And I, I was just being a little aggressive on the phone. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the batteries. Now, I haven't been at work so long. I kind of forget what exactly it is we disagree about. <laughs> the batteries is is uh you know a kind of a fake fight but like fake fight. um because I was an A2 for a while uh, I came to the show with my own opinions on how A2s did things and um also I was on a show that show with a lot of RF naturally also, also had a lot of batteries yeah um and so I one of the things also I had read a book about batteries I read a book called uh Oh, I don't remember what the, the title is, but it's something like batteries. rechargeable batteries. batteries. <laughs> yeah, it's it's literally just like a textbook on how rechargeable batteries work. It's it's very dry. I don't that know what else. Yeah, I love batteries. <laughs> Coming from someone who writes technical documentation for a living, that sounds gripping. <laughs> uh, but like one of the small disagreements I had is that. Um, uh, nickel metal hydride batteries lose. We, we don't use low self discharge batteries. We use regular nickel metal hydride batteries, which lose charge pretty quickly once they come off the charger. Uh, and so my rule on uh, the previous shows was always that um, batteries went straight from a charger into the microphone, and there wasn't like a in in, in a between step period. of putting them in a holding period. Yeah, that's called um, purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, but that is how they how they had been doing it on Hamilton. Uh, but um, I'm also pretty pragmatic, and I was just like, you know, if this works, it works, and uh, we don't need to change things to my way of doing things uh, until it doesn't work, and and it worked. So I, you know, and to defend my um, battery <laughs> mechanism, we also check the batteries after they come out of the chargers. So. Here comes a fight. A fight's coming no. on. Do it. Do no, it. No no I feel like Chris is, you've been trying to make this happen for like the entire show. You've been trying to get them to get mad at each other. I will just point, if you rewind this, I will point out Kevin brought it up twice. I'm just saying. Just saying. I don't, I don't think rewind well, is a feature. Well, well, we, uh, we, uh, certainly, uh, Kevin and, and Adriana, thank you so much for, uh, hanging out with us and, and talking shop with us. This was really cool. So thank you guys. Thanks for having yeah, us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having uh, a theater talk with us. I, I actually learned a lot. That was cool. Ooh. I'll have to check out this book as well. Yeah. The one on batteries. And- <laughs> yeah. Batteries. I tried I to really batteries. sell that. I'm getting it on my Kindle right now. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys again for, for your time. We had a, a great chat. And uh, encourage everyone to check out the YouTube videos and the link of this podcast to see them do their thing. Mm-hmm.